Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by... Hi, I'm John Adams. And, and hey, I'm Connor Webster. Oh my god, I didn't know your last name, Connor. <laughs> no one knows my last name. <laughs> Everyone just did summers, so whatever. <laughs> I just realized when you said that, I was like, holy shit, we've been friends for a while and I didn't know his fucking last yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Literally well, prior to the podcast talking about convenience marriages, yes. don't know his last name. I know. Today we're here to discuss season four's The Initiative. Or no, we're not. Oh, the, whoa, wow. <laughs> oh. I'm not prepared for The Initiative. <laughs> <laughs> Ian no. is jumping the gun. It was the last episode I watched before we started recording. <laughs> Um, we're here to discuss Wild at Heart. Oops. Um, but before we do that, since both of you are first time guests, yes. I'd love for you both to tell us your Buffy origin stories. Connor, do you, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, so I am one of those rare Buffy fans that has watched it since it aired in 97. All right. Um, so yeah, it's basically just been a big part of my life for the past 20 years. I kind of go through multiple rewatches a year, Buffy and Angel, obviously read all the comics um yeah I don't know, like I was like seven or eight when the show started so I was I was a child oh god um so like I mean I obviously couldn't grasp a lot of the concepts of the show because it was for a teen audience but um yeah I don't know it's kind of wild thinking back when like I kind of transitioned from goosebumps to Buffy <laughs> like that was the kind of jump for me um and yeah that's kind of it really I'm kind of just a, a thoroughbred fan all right Do you, there actually have been surprisingly We've had a lot of people that have actually started from the beginning, and which is funny because we didn't. But <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I watched the original run. I just didn't start it up from season one. Yeah, um, yeah, I would like out doing that because it's like I don't know. I have to watch everything from episode one. If I don't, I just don't watch the show at all. Cause I'm like, bother. I need to see everything. I, um, I feel like before Netflix and shit became a thing, that's how I would be normally. Like I'd be like, meh, and like, yeah. When Buffy didn't air the finale in America, the right order, I that's when I like gave up and then I like, yeah. went back. But yeah, because um, like even back then, like I mean, I used to. It's like if you missed it, you missed it. Like it was very hard to like find another thing, especially in the UK. It was even worse. Because yeah. um, I watch it every Wednesday at six forty-five, BBC Two, and I had like a tape called Connor's Tape, like a little VHS. <laughs> and I would tape my Buffy episode that week. And then every day after school, I'd come home and I'd watch Buffy with dinner, like that same episode. And I'd tape over it with the next one. So I'd like watch it at least seven times before like the new <laughs> one. So it's so like embedded in me. That was like before box sets even came out. Like it's just, I don't know. I go overboard when I like go become a fan of something. I like <laughs> just like take everything in. But um, You're talking to two hosts of the Buffy podcast. So yeah, we understand. <laughs> when you're on like dates and you have to explain like you have to explain your like fan for things because most people are so casual um this is, yeah it's fine this is a safe space it's cool i don't think anyone yeah i don't think we've invited anyone on the podcast who's casual yeah yeah <laughs> um john what is your buffy origin wow so i actually have a bit of an interesting buffy origin in that i wasn't allowed to watch it growing up at all. And I also had like an irrational fear of vampires too. So that really didn't help things. Um, it wasn't until after I graduated high school 
that Buffy like came back into my life. I was dating my boyfriend at the time who was obsessed, lived and breathed everything Buffy. And he had left his uh, DVDs over at my house. And so after we broke up, I was looking for things to do because I was sad and whatever. And I found them. So I said, you know, what the hell? I will, uh, I'll give this a watch. And I ended up becoming in love with it. And yeah, that's kind of how I happened upon Buffy. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, the drama. <laughs> I always say though, like, I feel like whenever anyone asks me, like, when they go through trouble, like, oh, what should I watch? If I'm feeling down, I'm like, honestly, like, Buffy's the most life affirming show. Like, just watch it and contextualize whatever shit you're going through and you'll be fine. Like, is that show. Right, like, there's so many quotes that I'm, like, when I'm depressed or whatever, like, I'm like, oh, let me watch this episode where she says this thing that makes me feel, like, really empowered and a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> if you feel worse, like, sometimes if I'm like, going through, like, a breakup or something shitty, I'll put on a very specific episode to make myself feel even worse. <laughs> Wallow. Like, it's good for that, too. Yes. Season six is great for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like being sad and like wanting to cry so you put on Adele just to bring you to that place yeah yeah. but he is the Adele in that in that, in that scenario <laughs> um yeah those are two good origin stories I feel like we haven't I guess we have I was gonna say we haven't had a new guest to give an origin story in a while but we have we just just last week we did so never mind I'm full of shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, no, we're here today to discuss Wild at Heart, season four, episode five. We're getting really into it. Not the initiative. <laughs> Not the initiative. Um, <laughs> or actually, I think this is episode six. I don't know. Who cares? But I mean, I care. But um, yeah, so I mean, do we just want to jump into it or do we want to give initial thoughts? I don't know. What do we usually do? I'm a little tired too. <laughs> it's, it's episode six. Um, yeah, why don't we just start? Well, we usually start well, beat by beat. Well, this is the first time, first of all, I mean, in the, in the opening, aside from Buffy slaying that vamp and giving a pun that is underappreciated, oh, yeah. this is the first time when we, when this is when Spike gets caught by the initiative. Yes. Yeah. Which I, I forget is like that, that major like plot beat. I yes. always think it happened in an earlier episode. It's just kind of like thrown in at the start. For, I, I actually, that's, that's what I put in my notes, Connor, that I, in my brain, Spike gets captured right after Harsh Light of Day. But that clearly yeah. doesn't make sense. That's what I always thought yeah. too. I did not know that it was at the beginning of Wild at Heart. I think this um I think the opening of this show is also it's a very like classic Buffy opening in that like this show has a lot of um iconic moments for what the show does. Um so the kind of shot of Buffy walking away is like kind of like damsel with the back is turned, and then you have like the evil creature lording over her, monologuing, and then Joss like instantly like subverts the audience expectation by just like shutting him down and then you're like, oh, and that's just, it's just such a Buffy thing to do. Yes. And it's so weird that it's in this episode that has nothing else to do with that. It's just like... <laughs> wanted to talk about the pun because I, I really like, I don't know, but like my humor is I always like when someone tells a joke and it doesn't land. Um, so I kind of like <laughs> that Buffy's like giving these puns and like she's doing it for himself. She's doing it for herself because like this guy's dead by the time she finishes. <laughs> and she's yeah. just like, you get it? Heartburn? And it's like, like, I mean, she'd have to, she has to entertain herself because you'd be going out your bloody mind, like just <laughs> walking alone every night. Like you would just come up with these funny lines. And I'm kind of amazed that the actually gets to do like, because of vampire she slayed and she has a line for all of them. Like that's impressive. That is true. It's very, it's very so, Spider-Man is what I think. So then we get the gang at the bronze. Yeah. 
post credits. Um, and I like that they're like they're being like weirdly self aware. Like but Willow's like, oh, this is like my comfort blankie. And then yeah. they're like, well, fuck off because here's Giles, here's Dad to make everything. Like I feel like that scene had to be written because they have to be like, we have to explain why college students are hanging out at their high school hangout. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like college people automatically reject everything about their high school selves. Mm-hmm. Would you say, John? Oh, no, that's, I agree. Well, and that's the thing is like, well, as much as they really do age them up on Buffy, like, especially in season five, I was just thinking about how they seem like adults as yes. opposed to like college freshmen, but like, they're still under 21, so it makes sense that they would still go to the bronze, the club that lets in, like, 15-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, because you notice, like, like, season seven, when, like, Dawn's there, and it's like, okay, but she's underage, but, like, I don't know, because they don't do that in the UK. Like, they don't let anyone under 18 into bars and clubs, like, at all. But, like, <laughs> they really don't in the US either. I think yeah. the bronze, just, like, I don't know the bronze is. Well, because I... Like, I always feel like the bronze isn't actually a bar, but it is because right in season seven they like have alcohol there. I think so. Yeah. In season four too, right? Yeah, yeah. very oh. ambiguous. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like I just feel like college freshmen, especially, they're trying like the whole thing of like with beer bad, like those really obnoxious guys. Is like college freshmen are trying so hard to like shed who they were and maybe like reinvent themselves. That it'd be weird, just like a, a your whole group like going back to the bronze. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a weird thing where it kind of like demonizes alcohol. And I don't know if that was like the network or if it was Joss himself, but it kind of comes up a few times like alcohol's bad. Yeah. Oh, they do it all the time. If he was dated, I guess, I, I don't know, even even for its time when it aired, it felt a bit dated. Jareed said that he, he told us that like the networks were like pretty pressury back then and that they would like kind of like the reason Beer Bad was written. I think they, like, wanted to have a drunk episode, but they said there had to be, like, a lesson learned. And, like, yeah, well, Joe Reed has said that, like, the, was, net, the networks would, like, get involved if they use, like, sex or alcohol. Well, Buffy was very unpopular with parents' groups, too. Like, I mean, not aside from just John's parents, but, like, <laughs> Buffy was very unpopular with parents' groups, and so they had to do a lot of, like, moralizing about in other ways to, like, keep it on the air and stuff like that, because they would get so many complaints. But specifically, like, for Beer Bad, which the, the episode previous to this one, it was an episode written, actually, to get, like, a government grant, um, which we didn't discuss on the episode, but I had read it, and I forgot to bring it up, but, like, the, like, the government, like, the whatever, like, the Office of Alcohol and Drug Something Something was giving grants to TV shows that would do, like, anti-drug or anti-alcohol messages, and, but Beer Bad was the attempt to get that money, but they ended up not getting the money because they said it was, like, too supernatural and that it wouldn't actually happen in real life, so no one would, like, <laughs> learn a message from it. I expect, like, doing, being like, oh, hey, it's a supernatural show, do a message about alcohol, but don't make it supernatural? Like, yeah. whatever, like... <laughs> yeah. It's dumb. Uh, Matthew, to be fair, I barely remember what we discussed in that episode because I was so drunk. That's well, true. We were drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I even hate beer bad like i think it's a pretty fun episode i know it's like one of the worst episodes but i quite enjoy it like this, we were this, that's we talked basically that's the conclusion we came to that yeah. we liked it more than people than we remembered liking it yeah yeah like there's just fun like i don't know this i guess we shouldn't really be talking about it because you've already spoken about it the last episode <laughs> but yeah it gets a bad rip i'm gonna stick, stick up yeah. for it yeah i agree um so i also i literally googled kel fiona to see if that was like an actual saying or her just saying like what but it's just them saying i think that's a really weird thing for buffy to say wait when did she, she say 
when they're when, when Veruca plays when Veruca plays Buffy's like stumbling over herself to try to make Willow feel better because oh, to be yeah. like oh yeah she's not there oh I'm over it I'm bored Cal Fiona and I was like is that a real saying or did Buffy just make that up and, Maybe she, it's saying. well right it, I like but I think like specifically Cal Fiona isn't like it's her kind of like saying she's like Fiona Apple yeah that's what I was reading into it yeah um, okay. it just it just doesn't feel very Buffy but yeah. I like it anyway which is, I feel like, usually how I feel with the show. I'll be like, oh, well, that feels a little out of character, but I loved it anyway. <laughs> it probably just went to, like, shoehorn the riff in. Like, it's yeah. fine. I was going to say, I did read, in doing a little bit of research, I Ooh, did read, research. apparently, there was a deleted... They had originally written this, or it was, like, a deleted scene or something, but apparently, in, like, a conversation between Willow and Buffy in an attempt to make Willow feel better, she called uh, Veruca a $10 hoe. But <laughs> yeah deleted it which i thought was very interesting huh why would they delete that hmm. was, i mean it could be for time i mean there's a lot like a, and, but like i also feel like i don't know i wouldn't see it pass for this show to do that because the show on top of being feminist is also super misogynist so. <laughs> yeah even well, like, the way the show deals with sex i find quite problematic like buffy has never really had a positive sexual experience which is like mm, for a feminist oh, shows well. pretty bad where the wild things are seemed pretty positive. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> uh, <laughs> was it though? Was it? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I go back and forth with that because I feel like, yeah, but also if I were Buffy and the first time I had sex was like a guy who then lost his soul and tried to murder my friends and did murder some of them, I might be really weird about sex and have these yeah. weird hangups. I mean, the show follows Buffy from, like, 16 to 22, and my whole thing is that, like, I don't think that straight that straight women have good sex before then because men are terrible at sex also. <laughs> like, teenage like like, girls, like, in high school who are of age and then, like, young college girls, like, guys are so bad, like, straight guys are so bad at sex, they probably only have bad sex. Listen, I don't, I don't think I was any good at sex back then either, so... But we're the superior beings, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's weird because, like, obviously, I think I feel like all the other char- characters have good sex lives apart from Buffy. After after the bronze, we get um, <clears throat> Willow and Oz kind of in bed talking, having their pillow talk. The one thing I just wanted to say, and we and since this is like the the it episode with Oz, is that as opposed to like later, what we're gonna see with Ruka, like this bed scene kind of shows like how asexual this relationship is. No, I just thought the chemistry between the two of them was like really strange. Yeah, it's not good at, like, this pillow top. Also, yeah. <laughs> this, coll- this college bed is, like, a queen-size bed that they're in. Know, like, where are they living? <laughs> like, <where laughs> queen-size bed in college, first of all. I, I do think, though, this episode has... I think this season, for the these six episodes that Oz is in, Willow and Oz have maybe the best chemistry that they've ever had. Um, yeah. And, like, it's not... Great, but it's better than it had been before. I feel it's like because that scene in particular, like they have a good chemistry. I think that scene, the dialogue doesn't really work for me, but it's um, it shows that they've got this kind of romantic intimacy, but it also shows that they don't have sexual intimacy. And I don't think their relationship has ever been sexual, which also ties into Willow's own sexuality and how she hasn't discovered herself that way. Um, even though it's, it never gets said out loud, I think this scene kind of shows that that they're more of like a they just want to kind of spoon and have that yeah. relationship. Yeah. Like it is, but it is a, a kind of sort of platonic 
I don't know. It's odd, but it makes sense in the kind of wider sense of the show, like Willow's arc. To me, like the, that relationship that you get into in high school and you just kind of like never get out of it. And so you're at this point where you're like, oh, this might not really be working anymore, but you're like too afraid to say that it's not working anymore. Oh, right. does, that, does that only happen in high school, guys? Because. <laughs> 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 Well, you know, <laughs> stages. <laughs> when Willow's like, you did better than me? That is so unfair. I feel like that's me and Matthew. If and you're then, in a class together and you did better than me, Ian, I'd be so pissed. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I really was like, oh, it's me and Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I like how the show acknowledges, like, the little moments it does, that Buffy's actually naturally quite intelligent. Yeah. And a lot of the, the writers and um, the characters write her off as ditzy. But she's not. Like, she's very switched on. So it's good when they kind of go into that in the show. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, always, I've I always like taken, I've, I've always taken Buffy as someone who's, like, really smart. But, like, she just wasn't great in high school because she was busy fighting for the world to live. Yeah. And that, like, she's just someone who's really smart. But, like, obviously was, one, distracted by being kind of, like, a bit, like a vain girl. Like, just, like, caught up in the mean girlsness of it all. And then afterwards had to deal with vampires and just, like, didn't have time for studying. But is naturally like really, really astute. And like to be fair, that doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I was saving the world. I don't have time to study for your stupid math test. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. That's why it's so infuriating when Joyce is trying to like push stuff on her, and she's like, "I haven't got time for this shit." Like, you know what's going on. You know the tea. But <laughs> that's just Joyce. <laughs> yeah. So, what about this awkward Veruca uh, Willow? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I don't know, this episode really captures the insecurity in a relationship where you can see that your other half is um, interested in someone else and you kind of can't really say anything without coming across crazy, so you just have to sit and watch, and that's horrible. So you just keep your mouth shut and watch it happen before your eyes. And I, I think they do a really good job of it in this scene. Um, yeah. Like, and I feel like Veruca's playing into, which I'm sure they wrote her like that on purpose, the, like, manic pixie whatever... Because she's like, oh my god, of course I'm eating. I'm hungry. I'm not like other girls. And it's yeah, like, she's a, oh, fuck uh, off. Big lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's eating her bur- like her entire burger and fries that she actually leaves there just to get away from Willow. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, Oz just walks off and leaves Willow with Veruca. It's like, this is so rude. Yes, that I'd be so mad. Awful. It's just, um, what kind of boyfriend would do that? Have we talked about the name Veruca yet? <laughs> that's such a choice I was I didn't remember that her name was Veruca I mean I think you're right choice. I think Veruca is such a what do you, what do you think of Veruca yes Willy Wonka <laughs> I think Willy Wonka too like the spoiled the spoiled brat but it's kind of also like a very I don't know it's an exotic it's like a war or something I'm pretty sure yes, it's, it's like what it means can, yeah she wants it all the time type of well that's the thing is that like so you were saying before, Connor, the show's attitude about sex, they deal with that a lot with Veruca because they're really, I mean, they paint her in such broad strokes. It's kind of like, this is just a girl who is bad and she likes sex and she's the bad girl who likes sex. And like, we're supposed to kind of be against her. Um, I don't know. It's just a very, like, I, I like the actress a lot who's doing it, but I every time they have Veruca talk, it's like, they're almost painting her as like this cartoon sex villain. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I'm I'm really into. Ver- I kind of I put Veruca in the box with characters like Sunday, Kathy, Parker, even like Maggie Walsh, 
as like these really rich season four characters that just are quite underdeveloped. Well, you know what's interesting, Connor, is that there I was reading in in, pre- in research for this episode that they wanted to keep Veruca for more of season four, but but Seth, Seth Green, Green quit. quit. Yeah, had to, had to be a movie star, and then he ended up settling down on Family Guy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, oh, you'll settle for Family Guy, but you wouldn't settle for Buffy. <laughs> he went on to make acclaimed films like Rat Race and all the Austin Powers sequels. Yo, wow. I like Rat Race. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> oh, that wasn't a dig. I think Rat Race is great. <laughs> this is the kind of one episode, and I mean, we'll talk about it later. That like actually discusses werewolves, and they kind of do a New Moon Rising, but from a weird, I don't know, from a different perspective, but. I just want to point out that Vruka's good shirt shade to Willow. <laughs> I hate I it. That. I get so upset for her. Because <laughs> I love it. Actually, my favorite part of that scene, I've got it like in my notes, um, is when Buffy comes along and um, she just says, I thought that was the point. And it's like, it's, she's instantly supportive with no judgment that this yeah. is what Willow would wear because these clothes make her feel good. <laughs> and Veruca made Willow feel shitty about her clothes. Especially because Willow has changed her wardrobe for college to kind of reinvent herself. And to have the cool, like, pixie girl put her down, like, it's so, um, it really punches into, like, Willow's anxieties of trying to put behind the, um, the Willow from season, you know, one or two, like, from high school. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's just really sad. It's really sad. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing worse than when you you know, you feel good about what you're wearing and someone, like, questions it without, like, passive aggressively that is like yeah it's i mean it totally feeds into like willow being like oh this girl's so much cooler than me oh she's making fun of my outfit and i'm trying really hard to like feel good about myself it like it goes all the way back to like softer side of sears like this is this has been in willow's character from like her literal first scene (laughs) but you've just got someone that's way worse than cordelia because she's trying to steal her man as well yeah (laughs) it's just it's horrible. It's problematic that Willow stands for Elvis at all. Um, so then after that, um, it's almost insane how incredibly wrong Buffy is when she's talking to Willow about Oz. Because her speech works, and I feel like it's almost vaguely progressive for Buffy, who tends to be on the prude side, to be like, hey, Willow, it's okay if your boyfriend checks out someone else. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Like, I feel like, yeah. of course, that I agree with that. But it feels almost progressive from Buffy, who's normally kind of prude. But I, I mean, I appreciate that viewpoint because, you know, that's true, of course. Um, but it's just like watching that, I'm like, oh, Buffy's actually like doing like good friend work here. But she is going to end up being so fucking wrong. Yeah. I think it's because like, obviously, I think it's not to this episode that Buffy seems to get an insight into Willow and Oz's relationship where she's just kind of assumed that things are fine between them. Because yeah. Buffy kind of does that with her friend's relationship, just assumes they're going fine. Um, but it's that way, like, she's trying her best to help without having any knowledge of the inner workings of it because Willow and Oz don't even communicate to each other. Yeah. And that's... Willow tries, like, com- in the scene coming up. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's funny because that outfit, compared to, like, what they wear in later seasons, doesn't even, like, feel that crazy, right? It doesn't no. feel that out of character for Willow. But I think it, it does. I mean, I think when I see Willow in leather pants, like Buffy I'm used to in leather pants. Like the Willow in leather pants was a lot for me. Yeah. And it was also very clear that like she was trying to glam up, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, it, it was also very, it was such a good outfit choice, like such a good costume choice as from a costume design perspective, because 
it also missed the mark of being Veruca because Veruca just like kind of dresses in a way that suits her personality. Yeah. And like the, yeah. the outfit was so mismatched on Willow that it just read like very, it was just like so difficult to see her in it. Like she was almost squirming in it. Oh my, cause she was, even, even the leather pants don't um, fit her right. It's just. Uh, yeah, they're really ill fitting leather. Try to dress as Faith. Someone who's someone that she detests, even like going to that level, which just that's a lot for Willow to do to try and sexualize herself when she's not a sexual person. Um, it's just it's it's a whole explosion of insecurities. Like, so I wonder, I think I can't remember, doesn't this happen before Professor Walsh getting attacked happens before or after that scene? Yeah, before because he's got the um, marks right. on his right, right, right. So, yeah, yeah. I think that, that was one thing I wanted to point out. Isn't it weird that Professor Walsh, who's like the head of the secret army group that hunts down demons doesn't have, like, weapons to fight demons on her at all times? Yeah. I, I don't think so, because she's not a fighter. She's, like, a... She's, like, a... She's, like, a bureaucrat. Yeah, she just, like, gets... Something. I, I don't know. I just feel like if... Not to... Now I sound like some kind of, like, gun rights activist, but if, like, there were literally demons <laughs> and monsters walking around town at all times, and I knew about I, it... I think that it was a really smart choice to have Maggie be that person because right now, like, first of all, like Maggie, they're really setting her up to be a big bad in a lot of ways, but like to see her kind of frightened, I think is almost like a red herring. Like maybe we, cause next episode, we're going to find out how much power she has. That's true. Okay. So to yeah. see her like struggle with these worlds is real. Cause also I think that she is in terms of the initiative, like, she is a figurehead. She's a bureaucrat. She doesn't go out there and fight. So she has, like, no skills whatsoever. She's like, oh, I think it was some bears, or dogs. It's like, girl, it's like, you know this is supernatural. You both know what's going on in this town. Like, why are you fronting? Like, it just felt quite silly. Yes. They also look nothing like dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... Nothing, <laughs> are they meant to be? Like, this kind of redesign of werewolves on this show is really bad. Oh my yeah. god, they redesigned werewolves like every three episodes because the very <laughs> first one was the only one that looked like a like a typical werewolf the first yeah. time in faces. And then they even and then they changed him throughout season three and now they change them again. And it's like, did you did you pay for a new costume each time? <laughs> I don't know. Like cause I think some of the practical effects of this show are really good, particularly with like the demon makeup and like designs, but the werewolves they've never they never got it right. To the point I think the one in phases looks the best. Even though it's like animatronic nonsense, I wanted, I, I wanted to bring up the sex fighting that Ver, that Ruka and Oz have because I think that this is a thing. Like Buffy uses violence as a metaphor for sex a lot, just yes. like, and um, we talked about it at length. This this whole thing, this episode, reminded me a lot of Buffy and Faith because you kind of have Buffy who has the philosophy that like we're slayers and we have a duty and we should be good and we shouldn't kill people. And faith is just like the crazy manic pixie sex goddess. Who's like, Oh no, we have, we're, we're above everyone. We're better. Like, um, and super sexual. And Oz and Veruca kind of have that same thing where he's like, Oh, we should be in cages and you know, we shouldn't like hurt people. And Veruca's like, no, we are the wolves. We're better than everyone. And like, let's have sex fighting. <laughs> it's a very healthy faith dynamic. If you think about it. It's an interesting argument as well because you've never had that in the show because you've never had two werewolves. And it also brings up, because Oz as a character, um, the way he articulates his uh, lycanthropy is that he's, um, the wolf is separate to him and it's not a part of him. And it's kind of, almost like this kind of gay shame thing. Uh, <laughs> and it's, I don't know, like, whereas Veruca's like, 
no girl like you know like you know that you do remember things and this that and you like how it feels and that she's it's kind of um that in itself is seductive just to give in to your animal urges which Oz doesn't do he represses how he how he feels he literally cages himself and Veruca kind of represents this but what if kind of how it was like you're saying with the Buffy and Faith thing like <laughs> I was gonna say though I do like the scene where they're folding where they're randomly folding clothes after they've had fight sex um because also I just really like I mean I do like the Veruca actress and I really like her body type and I think that it was really like cool to have a really sexual character who, who, I mean, she brings up, like, she has her line about, is there any dressing on that salad? But I also was, like, very appreciative that they had, like, a different body type for her. Yeah. yeah. But the scene went, so, I mean, that's the whole thing, is, like, they, this, this um, episode is kind of the middle part of, like, a trilogy of episodes about werewolves, like, it's phases and this and then New Moon Rising. So mm-hmm. phases is, like, where Oz is, like, the villain, but they're trying to, like, help him in some way, and then this one, Oz is now, like, trying to help out another wolf, and then we see New Moon Rising, like, Oz kind of trying to, Oz can't help the wolf anymore type thing, but um, I think they have a lot of really good philosophical conversations about the werewolf in this, and I, I like the, like, light and dark thing that we got with Buffy Faith, but, like, projected onto werewolfness. But wait, um, where, did, where did Oz get welding equipment? Is the real question, and why is he welding the door on his own? He definitely had it in his van. It's also yeah. crazy that you guys are talking about this, and it didn't even occur to me that it was weird that he had welding equipment. <laughs> Look, I just one hundred percent accepted that. I didn't put that in a note. <laughs> like welding equipment is one of those like professional things that you can't just like go buy. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, let me stop by Target real quick and buy some welding equipment. <laughs> And then also, just because one has welding equipment does not mean one knows how to weld. <laughs> I just have so many questions. Camila Cabello, shout out, I have questions. Those are all <laughs> very good points, Matthew. <laughs> 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 um, also, I put in my notes, I mean, we're getting towards the end. So, Veruca totally would have been, if she were like a musician that year in like 2000 or 99, I would have totally probably loved her. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, Buffy compares her to Fiona Apple, so, like, that's all you need to know. Like, oh, like, sad, angsty girl in 2000 that sings. I think she's somewhere on the spectrum between, like, Fiona Apple and and Avril Lavigne. She's somewhere on that spectrum. Not Avril Lavigne. (laughs) Yes, Avril Lavigne. I think that if Veruca were to get a record deal and she had to conform to what a record company wanted... She would end up being Avril Lavigne. I refuse to accept that. But also, like, Avril Lavigne has some like, catchy um, songs, so whatever. <laughs> she'd, she'd end up like Latter Day Liz Fair when she was coming out with Why yes. Can't I? Yes. That would be Veruca. Okay, that I 100% buy. <laughs> um, so. But it was, sorry, it was funny what you mentioned about um, Connor, what you mentioned about Veruca, because some of her. Even though I love her, some of her acting is a little porn acting almost. Like when she's very t- oh, talking about yeah. it was yeah. very like UPS man here to deliver something to your cage. Yeah. It's yeah. Just every, every, every um, syllable is like laced with sex. Like she just wants to fuck constantly <laughs> for no reason. But then like the only time I've ever seen Oz be like passionate is when he kissed Ruka. And it was actually like very different for Seth Green. He was yeah. really he was really going at it. I think 
John, what do you think? Well, I just want to say that uh, his cargo pants in that scene are very, like, distracting. <laughs> They're horrendous. He is, I and think he's slightly so attractive. Slightly homophobic, I will add. <laughs> I just don't understand <laughs> why they chose those pants and, like, since Oz is, like, a skinny jeans and, yeah. like... Definitely. He's wearing baggy, he unsexy, just, like, paper sacks. Like, like I it really like, looks like he's on his way to an interview to be a manager at a TD bank. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because like the Oz figure that I use for our podcast cover also has like those baggy, baggy, baggy pants. And I always feel like it feels uncharacteristic for Oz to like wear anything that like he's, I feel like he's the most stylish of the men that we see on the show and he wouldn't wear baggy cargo pants. Ugh. He's kind of like a little skater boy, though, isn't he? Yeah. Well, that's why I mean by the tight pants. Like, yeah, he's, like, they're not practical for skateboarding. <laughs> for drumming? I almost feel like, punish, like someone was trying to punish Seth Green. <laughs> I think it's like he looks <laughs> out of Tiny as well. Like, he shouldn't be wearing things that baggy when he's, like, shorter than SMG. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's also true. It just like drown like it already makes your tiny tiny legs look smaller if they're drowning like that. I did. I mean, none of the Scoobies are particularly fashionable. Um, even Buffy like has her faux pas. But um... the bandana in this episode was everything. <laughs> Giving me early two thousands Mariah Carey wears bandana as a t shirt. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh my I just god. think early season four Buffy. The makeup and hair team really love her because her hair has never looked better. They finally get the right color of blonde for her. Um, yeah. Ian, this is what I've been saying. I and know. Showing for season five hair. No. Buffy's <laughs> hair in season four is laid, bitch. It is it's so the, only, the only bad thing is when she goes through the crimp phase. Yes, I hate the crimp. The crimp, I, I hate. hate crimp. I think the crimp looks great on her. <laughs> it makes it look like she has oh, wow. five strands of hair when she crimps it. It looks, yeah. I don't know, it doesn't, it's not good. Especially when she's been from that kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like poker straight, like boho type thing. But I don't know, the shade's great, the length's great. It's just very quintessential Buffy to me. Even that that promo image of her with the the black top and the leather, red leather pants. Like yeah. that's Buffy, like that's the, kind of, that's the Funko Pop that I would want, you know? <laughs> that's the um, Funko Pop I have. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> it's an exclusive one, isn't it? Yeah, it was Comic-Con. Uh, I think I'm going to have to settle for the Prophecy Girl one, but whatever. That one so let's get back to Willow finding them together. <laughs> Matthew's like, shut up, nerds. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to get, to get us to her finding them together because it's a very emotional talk between the yes. two. And it's the most, like, when they're arguing is, like, the most passionate that I've seen Willow and Oz. Yes. <laughs> and um, the whole, I mean, him kind of bringing up the lover's walk thing is kind of a dick move. <laughs> Yes, it's, but yeah. But it but also shows you that they have some unresolved yes. issues. Yes, yeah. into their communication issues. Like here's Willow; she's walked in. Her insecurities have been completely validated. Their history rears its head, and carried by this character's history together, and these two stunning performances. Um, and you can't get this shit if you like. This is why I, people shouldn't sleep on season four because all the good character stuff starts to happen from season four onwards. And you kind of have to have the three seasons prior to kind of get scenes like this, this dialogue yes. between Oz and Willow. Um, and they are quite poorly developed as a couple, but it seems like this. I'm like, oh wait, actually 
they're pretty great. It's just it's more subtle than the likes of you know Bangel um, or like and Xander and Anya. Um, but just tying into the communication thing, like it's so in character for Oz because even going back, like rather than confiding in loved ones, educated in you know dangerous matters like Buffy Giles Willow he takes things into his own hands like in phases where he puts Willow in danger by not revealing he's the werewolf and like in Beauty and the Beast where he his like internalized frustration over the wolf pushes Willow away so his like decision to call Baruka to the cage has been set up for the show yeah and it all ties into Oz's own internalized shame and now that shame basically is the end of their relationship and completely damages things between him and Willow and he has to answer for it. And yes, he lashes out um, by bringing up the Xander thing, but that's because he can't take responsibility for himself because he doesn't even accept himself as a, as a full person yet. I mean, I think they, I think this scene is maybe the most, like, well, aside from the scene at the end and then when Oz comes back, I think it's one of their best scenes. Like, it's the most emotional, um, which is weird because we saw them, like, you know, Willow lose her virginity to him, and for me, that fell flat. Um, and Oz was always cute with her, but, like, I mean, like we've all said, it was more, it almost felt more platonic. Um, yeah. And this scene, like, really breaks my heart, and I'm like, I don't know, like, for me, it's, like I said, I wish we could have gotten more of this, but I'm still not, I'm, like, in my brain, it's hard for me to separate this from the fact that, okay, but this leads to Tara, and I love Tara, like... Yeah. I just oh wanted to say that I, John. Oh, I just wanted to say like I thought that it was really interesting watching this because I have never really thought of Seth Green as like an actor in the sense that he's playing like a character. I always feel like he's kind of riffing on his own like personality, yeah. if that makes sense. And this was one yeah. of the first times and only times that I can remember like that I was like impressed with like a performance of his. He's doing a lot of good acting this episode, and um, he really can carry an episode in a way that you've never really seen him do before. Which is why it's so disappointing <laughs> that this is like his last episode that he's credited as a main cast member. Yeah. Also, um, I my my favorite. So I actually laughed after their argument when Willow has that dramatic like Jennifer Love Hewitt run into the graveyard. <laughs> Yeah, when she's running away, it is one of those like '90s like movie like like teen rom com or like teen you know romance movie runs where she's running away. It's the kind of thing that Anna Faris parodies and scares. Yes, I was just about to say that. Oh my god, you read my mind. (laughs) It's exactly what it is, and like her arms are flailing. (laughs) And then she runs into a completely different show where like melancholy and tries to kill herself, like. It's just like, girl, you ran into a different script. Where did you go? Yeah, it's so it kind of pans away over the cemetery as she's kind of stumbling over tombstones to get away. Like, <laughs> and then she runs to like go kill herself in front of the coffee bean. Like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> John, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just saying, like, I just felt like that was so random. Like, even the way she was like walking into the street. Like, I was just like, what's happening here? Yeah, I I put in my notes like. That, I, I mean, I don't, like, love, love this episode, but I like it, and I feel like that's the only part that, like, almost is like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, it feels, like, too absurd, and then, like, Riley coming in and saving her because Buffy can't get there, like, I don't know, it feels... 
I hate to bring up the room, but it felt like the, <laughs> it felt like the um the scene on the rooftop in the room. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> drugs. Any? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Oh my gosh, you're so right, John. I'm like literally screaming. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, even the way that Buffy was like, oh, I couldn't get to her in time, felt like, um, what's her face's mom being like, what kind of drugs? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) John, that was a really good impression. (laughs) Well, if there's anything I'm good at, it's uh, imitating the old lady from the room. (laughs) Put that on your resume. (laughs) Oh, it is on my resume. It's the first thing. (laughs) Um... And I, I also have to say, and I don't know how you boys feel, I know how Matthew feels, um, Riley's so, for me, Riley is really likable in these, like, first few episodes, and I kind of, like, like, I like him saving the day a little bit, because I feel like I find him likable in these episodes, and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Riley apologist, like, I really like Riley as a character, and I think he's really well fleshed out, um... So I'm not really here for any bad-mouthing. I don't know. I feel like whenever you bring up Riley, it's a really tense thing. I agree. I really like Riley, and I like that they had, like, I think that, that you have to be really conscious about how you use a character when you're introducing them, and they're clearly supposed to be a love interest, and they're clearly one day going to be in the opening credits. Like, mm. you're, like, and that's the feeling you get from the first few episodes of season four. It's like, okay, like, we know Riley's going to be big, but, like, how do you introduce him and so the next episode we're going to get the initiative and the one right before that we see this inner goodness of Riley like really jumping out to help Willow I mean like at the end of the day the only way they know each other is that he is her TA right he's got a good heart and he's a, he's a hero deep down stand up guy <laughs> yeah he's a good guy he's oh my god boy. is everyone in, gr- in agreement about Riley this never happens love Riley love him like I love Riley. we stand oh my god yeah <laughs> I mean, I this this has literally never happened before. <laughs> I, think people, I think for me, if I'm talking to a Buffy fan and they say they don't like Riley, they don't like Dawn, or they don't like Kennedy, to me that's like, mm, I don't think you've taken this show fully in. Um, <laughs> it's, it's an alarm bell to me because I'm like, they might not be likable characters all the time, but they are good characters. So the only character I accept bad mouthing of is Connor, who is absolute garbage. Yeah. But that's out. That's an angel, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, oh, right. We just had this discussion in our in DMs the other day, didn't we, Connor? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm always, I'm always here, like standing up for these like shitted on characters. Um, uh, love them. They're family, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I so actually prevent well. What? What were you going to bring up? Oh, I was going to bring up that how. In the midst of all this, Buffy actually kind of learns about the initiative in this episode. Yes, while she's yeah, running, while she's running to um, Willow. Yeah, which is weird. Like, I mean, you said this before. Like, it's a weird beat in this episode. Like, Spike gets captured in the beginning. Um, we and, see him when. Oh, yeah, we don't see him again. Yeah, we don't see him again, and then Buffy runs into the initiative guy. Um, and, like, she learns that they're, like, a real thing because she recognizes them from Halloween. Um, and it's weird that this episode also has those beats in it that you kind of forget. Um, yeah, it's kind of setting up plot, but it's, yeah. like, done in a kind of clumsy way. And also, I have trouble remembering that we don't know... 
because we know the initiative is like kind of a thing because we see enough of them. Um, but, but we like, don't but, know that Riley's in it. Yeah, we don't know that Riley's in it. But mm-hmm. I, because I, that plot line to me is anchored to him. I forget that we don't know he's in it until the next episode. Actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, when Buffy tells when they're going to look for Veruca, and Buffy tells Oz, this would be one of those times when you need to like be quiet or whatever. I'm always like, oh yikes! Like that feels like so harsh, it's and she's right, but. She calls it yeah. his trademark stoicism. Yeah. But then, I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's Buffy and Willow. I feel like Buffy and Willow have got a lot closer since Around Lover's Walk, where Willow kind of supplants um, Xander for Buffy as her kind of top friend. Um, so it kind of makes sense that Buffy would just go straight to her defense. Like, you know, your boyfriend's been shitty to my friend. Of course, you're going to be a bit shady to them. Give them a cold shoulder. Well, I, I think it's interesting what you said about Willow and Buffy because I wrote down how nice it was to see Willow and Xander talk about their problems, which we, we skipped over that scene, but I think that scene was important. I mean, the show obviously really wants you to be invested in Buffy and Willow as this really great duo, but, like, Willow and Xander do have, like, two decades of history, of, like, two decades of history being friends, yeah. almost, you know? And I like when the show wants to remind us of that. So I really appreciated willow going to xander with her problem yeah Um, and then i do like buffy's reaction too with her going to oz because it really reminds you that like there are two level of scoobies there's like the buffy willow xander and then there's the people on the outside of them and maybe giles is on the inside too obviously and then there's like everyone else and buffy will defend like willow xander and giles to the death and then like on the other everyone else is like on kind of, you know, eggshells. She'll stab Anya with a sword. <laughs> right, she'll stab Anya. She'll, like, she'll not, you know, she's not doing this for Oz. She never really goes against Tara. In fact, she kind of confides in Tara, but she's still, like, there's still a very clear, like, first tier, second tier. Yeah. Thing. And even her confiding in Tara is very rooted in the fact that it's easier to talk to someone on the outside cause, than to talk to the one she's closer to. So it's still kind of at arm's length talking to Tara. Because right. through circumstance, she's easier because she's not going to give the tea to anyone else, which is a little uncomp, but I get it. I yeah. think it's really important that this is like the episode where we find Willow like using magic for revenge for the first time and like the bottles are floating. Well, like, I didn't know about that. I and know, it definitely is foreshadowing, you know, to oh, obviously dark it's Willow. established pattern. Like this, because the first time she does it is in Lover's Walk. And it's this thing of Willow where anytime she is feeling a negative emotion or like for example grief she will turn to anger because it's easier it's easier to feel anger towards something because you have an objective to overcome or something to fight whereas feeling grief you just have to like sit and feel like shit and go through it so willow just she just does this turns to magic to solve a personal crisis and it comes from a dark place and it is it's complete foreshadowing and it, they just set it up so beautifully throughout the show that even when it hits you you don't even realize when Dark Willow happens, you're like, oh my god, of course. But it's still so shocking. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just classic Willow. It's, um, it's like she needs something to fight. Because she just hates herself. Um, like, we feel like that. Well, I think, I think it's more, like, so I'm thinking about, like, really great geek characters that we love. And for the most part, like... Willow is an emotionally stable person. We th- or actually no, I, I want to say that we I think we think of Willow as emotionally stable, but this episode shows, and then we're gonna later get into it, like with season six, and like how much, 
or even when she goes to attack Glory in season five, when Glory when Glory hurts Tara, like how much of her magic comes from this place of like revenge and this right. like place. And I like that we get the beginnings of it here, seeing like how overboard she could go. Um, but anyway, it reminds me of other. It's a very common trope for on tv and in movies like for geeks that they don't have this like sense of emotional stability like they're so invested in grades and being good that when they get a little taste of something bad they kind of go overboard it reminds me a lot of like allison brie and community like annie edison i mean i mean i feel like that's also like a trope in in general right like that's not like well that's what i was saying yeah it's like a trope that the geek is also a little emotionally unstable, but we don't really, I don't think people, like if you were to ask a Buffy fan, like what are Willow's traits, they wouldn't say emotionally unstable, right. but when well, you actually dig well, down into like, how, how her emotions like fuel her magic and stuff like that, the, they're, they're toying with that part of her a lot more than we realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that they make the geek like emotionally unstable because I feel like in something like, Harry Potter, you know, like you see Hermione is like this well put together, like completely just in control person. And that's not really realistic whatsoever. And then the volatility between like how her emotions are tied to her magic is really interesting too. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would agree with that, John. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like, cause I still relate Willow and Hermione. Like I still feel like Willow is the Hermione of the group. Um, Absolutely. Right. Like, yeah. And just, you know, not as confident and stable as Hermione was. Right, like, uh, even in Hermione's, like, biggest, um, like, emotional crack when she saw, like, Ron, you know, making out with uh, What's-Her-Face, and she set those birds on him, that was still, like, pretty controlled in terms of, like, lashing out. And I think that with Willow, you see that she obviously, I mean, obviously she has a lot going on, but that it, kind of sets her her experience with magic kind of out of whack is much more fascinating and realistic. Yeah. Imagine, um, imagine if J.K. Rowling had made up, like, in episode... I mean, uh, I keep saying seasons and episodes like we're talking about TV. Imagine <laughs> if she had had, like, a plot in book six where we get a dark Hermione. <laughs> she just, like, really goes overboard. Yeah, like, I mean, I just feel like that... I mean, we're, that's it's kind of off topic, but I feel like with that, like, Hermione was never really given that she always had to be the one that was either saving the day or the one that was always kind of reeling everyone back in. And not to say that there aren't people like that, but I don't know. It's just, it's a human like trait to feel like you can't hold things all together. So it would have been nice to see her kind of do that in the way that Willow was able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree Um, with that. I think it's significant to note in this scene as well that um, Willow doesn't go through with the spell. Like she stops herself um, and later seasons, Willow totally would have gone through with it. Yeah, like she's making the right decision, even though it's not going to bring her relief from any of her own pain. Whereas, like, yeah, it's like give it a, give it a few seasons, even season five, like when she. Yeah, goes I would to say floor. give it a few episodes because in something blue, <laughs> like see, it's only like three episodes away that Willow does use magic, but she obviously doesn't use it against. She's not like harming. Uh, she uses it on herself. Yeah. yeah, she's not like. I mean, she does end up harming someone, but she doesn't do it on purpose to harm someone. I, I think that's the thing with Willow, like she's um, a lot of her spells come from a selfish position. So that's why they go wrong, because what Tara kind of teaches her with magic is it has to come from somewhere, you know, within and have good intention. Otherwise, it does go skewed. That's why a lot of Willow spells do. Um, And even like to season six, where she erases Tara's mind, just because it's an inconvenience 
to, to Willow to have an argument. Like, that's fucked. And also, that's, that like, a very... Um... Even thinking back to Fear itself, when they say, like, Willow's spells are 50-50, and, like, when she finally gets the little fairy light to help her, I always hate that the first thing she does is, like, ask to lead her to Oz. I'm always like, no, like, you should be... I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird, like... And it, so it is coming from a place of, like, her magic is supposed to help in her relationship because the first thing she wants to do is, like, find Oz. Because I, I, I made a note about Fear Itself, um, and I was just... Because the foreshadowing for this episode is completely set up in um, Oz and Willow's fears. It was, like, Oz's fears that he won't be able to control the wolf, end up hurting Willow, and Willow fears that Oz is going to leave her. Yeah. And both occur in this episode. Um, I know, right. and that, that's why, for, I mean, we discussed this when we recorded, which it hasn't come out yet, when we recorded for Fear Itself, we discussed that, how, like, it actually does set up, like, all their fears, kind of, for the season, um, and it does play out through, basically, the whole season, and is what breaks up their friend group, kind of, yeah. momentarily. It hasn't come out yet, but basically the whole episode is that, like, Fear Itself is, like, the establishing episode of season four, disguised as a Halloween episode. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Definitely my favorite Halloween episode as well. Oh yeah, Matthew did a ranking of them, right? Matthew, a new ranked for yeah, itself. Yeah, I mean, too. And it was, I mean, it was a ranking of three episodes, but Fear <laughs> itself was number one. Yeah. Um, uh, I, what about what do we think about Veruca? I think that this the show goes back into like it's really bad misogynistic, like slut shaming, sex negativity because they're kind of like, well, obviously, you know, Veruca is going to go totally fatal attraction, and you know kidnap Willow and become the villain after being the emotional villain. I think it's like a weird line to be like, go from emotional villain to physical villain, like wants to do Willow harm. I don't really buy that transition. Yeah. I kind of thought it was very out of character. They try to write it off as her saying, Oh, it's her giving into the wolf. Um, The wolf obviously wants to like hurt people and kill people anyway. Um, And obviously she's very much like at one with her wolf self, but um, yeah, it does feel a bit like, oh, we've got to wrap the episode up. Veruca's just going to go and kill Willow uh, so she can be with Oz. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not also, mad. her sexy elbow hunch is on fleek in this scene. <laughs> She's doing so much. Wait, oh my expl- God. what do you mean by that? Explain that to me, Matthew. What, what someone else is saying that she's always poking her head out as a turtle. She, she's hunching and she does the, the head bop thing. Oh. She's like, acting as if she were a werewolf when she's a person. Like, she has her head stuck out and her back is all, like, hunched over. Yeah. I also love the transition when you kind of... It's, like, really badly done. When it, you see they've got, like, Oz and Veruca get, like, hairy shoulders when they're talking to each other. <laughs> oh! <laughs> cyborgs. And then it cuts to the next, like, um, shot and Veruca's got this massive, like, blowout on her head that she didn't have in the previous bit. It's like, okay, sure. I, yeah, I was always, I was also very interested in how they, like, really had to show, like, what do you, as a show, you have to show that the 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 werewolf is female, I guess, so they gave her this, like, long, like, <laughs> gray storm blowout. Yeah, these highlights. And it's like, you know, in nature, like, a lot of contenders <laughs> look the same. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell you right away. I don't know. But they really went to pains to show this is a female werewolf by giving her this, like, dried wig. Oz is gonna sexy, sexy fight this other werewolf, but no homo, because look at the long hair. <laughs> right. We're, we're really signaling to you, the viewer, that this is a heterosexual werewolf copulation. 
so silly. They could have like, literally just shown her like with like a, a blonde coat as this, instead of giving her this wig on top. Very silly. <laughs> the wig is too much. Honestly, I want gifts and memes of that wig. <laughs> <laughs> I will make them for you, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> she um, looks um what's it Sindel from Mortal Kombat like that kind of hair oh yeah 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 <laughs> um so then we get the scene so they defeat her because of course they do um that all feels really anticlimactic to me um I just don't think it's one of those things once again with season four where like the villain is not really the point yeah and they just dispatch of Veruca. I mean, really, it's, it's Oz who kills Veruca. Yeah. Yeah. Which is extra, but okay. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, it was sad. To, I mean, it was really weird to, like, see him as the wolf, like, really just fucking, like, tear her neck out. Yes. Yeah. I think it's quite nice as well to have that, because it kind of ties into Oz and the wolf not being separate. So, like, as wolf Oz, he kind of recognized that Veruca's a danger to Willow, so he attacks Veruca. But then also he's still the werewolf to go to attack Willow anyway. And then it comes back to like New Moon Rising and he kind of like articulates that a bit better. But um, it's all you know what? Hulk. I hadn't thought about that. And I, and I think that it actually makes, because one of the notes that I made for the next scene where Oz is talking to Willow about why he has to leave and he goes like, he says something about like, he doesn't know where the line is anymore. I kind of felt like that dialogue was forced. Like you haven't seen Oz have a big arc about his wolfness but when you really think about fear itself and then him almost attacking willow just now and then the conversations he's having with veruca i think it actually now that i'm thinking about it a day later reads is more emotionally true like him saying that he doesn't know where that line is between like wolf and person i think if anything more than like the cheating like the cheating aspect of the relationship if you think about oz as a character veruca may have like been there as a character to like make him realize this about his, his wolfishness. Wait, tell me whichever one of you, what song was that that just started playing? Um, it was He Loves You Not By Dream, and it was because I accidentally pressed <laughs> play on my Spotify. I knew I recognized it. He Loves You Not By Dream. <laughs> I accidentally pressed a button on my computer that made it play. I didn't mean so, to expose you like that, Matthew, but I was like, I recognize that fucking song. <laughs> um, you, don't need, you don't need to bother exposing me. I'm an open dream fan. <laughs> I mean, who is it? <laughs> I was waiting for you to jump in, John. <laughs> um... So then we get him leaving, which I don't know that I still cry at that scene though. Like uh, Willow, I think Alison Hannigan is, I mean, we've said this before. She's such a good crier um, that her cry face, she does such good, like not just cry, like Sarah Michelle Gellar and her have very different crying techniques. And I think both of them work, especially for their characters. Alison Hannigan has like, your face is drooping. Your world is ending. You are not pretending to hold it together and you're sobbing. Yeah, and, she lays it out. And Sarah, out. Sarah Michelle Gellar has very, which works for Buffy, I'm trying to hold it together, I'm not showing emotion on my face, I'm going blank, and tears are just streaming down. Mm-hmm. And for me, both both versions of crying 100% always work on me in this fucking show. I mean, probably also because I love Buffy and Willow so much, but I think uh, Willow sobbing when Oz leaves and her saying, like, is it, isn't this scene when she's like, what about me? Mm-hmm. And I just, ugh, it chills me. Because even like, I, I don't know, this final scene is so stunning. It's beautiful, painfully acted. Um, but it's also like a rare Buffy scene where like, 
there's actually no subtext or no hidden meaning. Like this scene's not even for the audience. Like it's just for yeah. Oz and Willow to process their relationship. Um, and it's kind of like, you kind of feel a little bit privileged to get like a little look into their lives. It, it's, it's, it feels like you shouldn't be watching this. Yeah. It, we shouldn't be, shouldn't be witnessing it, but we are. And it's, um, it's heartbreaking. It's one of the best scenes in the show for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, so are we there? Are we at the end, Matthew? Yeah, we can ask the final question. All right. Um, so, gentlemen, guess what do you think? We're so we're making a generic. What do you think Dawn would be doing this season, John? What do I think she'd be doing? Yeah. Hmm. Thought about that, Connor. <laughs> why don't you go first? I need a few more minutes. Well, I, I think. Sorry, let me just. I think we should ask what she would be doing this episode if she had to be written in. Okay. <laughs> if she's okay. written. Um, if she were in this episode at all, what do you think she would do? I think maybe. Oh, I know it's kind of hard because they even struggle to slot Buffy into the episode. Like this episode's <laughs> quite significant because Whedon's decided the episode didn't need to relate directly to Buffy, like even metaphorically, um, which is a really like rare occurrence for this show. Uh, I don't know. I think Dawn wouldn't be in this episode right. unless she was like maybe like hang out with Xander at his flat. I don't know. Somewhere. That's my answer. I think really like the easiest way to use Dawn in this episode would be to um, somehow she like Willow asks her to help with the spell because she needs another person and she doesn't want to ask anyone in the group. So she asks Dawn. She doesn't tell Dawn it's a spell. She tells her it's a chemistry experiment for college because she in the chem lab and so when Veruca comes uh, Veruca also threatens the safety of Dawn and that's why Buffy is like trying so hard to help because she thinks Dawn is in danger Dawn's always in danger they could have have Dawn be on the kind of high street because that would give a reason for Buffy to just happen to be there when Willow gets run over that's true yeah Yeah. she's just out on like doing some like kind of sister stuff and then, like, okay, let's get her home. And like, that could be, like, Michelle's, like, paycheck for the week. <laughs> okay, so um, I think John and I are going to have the same answer for this. Your favorite outfit, John? Oh, well, I did mention it before, but I love the ensemble topped off with the beautiful bandana. That's that literally, yeah. I, I, when you mentioned that earlier, I was like, oh, <laughs> did I put that as my favorite outfit? Cause it's just a personal connection, you know, I can't deny it. It feels like... Sometimes the outfits are, like, absurd and not even of the time, but it feels very of the time. Oh, it's such a relic. I feel like if we had a museum of, like, different <laughs> outfits from time periods, like, that would be that year. <laughs> like, that would be the entry for that year. Let's bring it back. Like, yeah. this I, also, I also put down that outfit just because, like, <laughs> also, I just, like, the forest green shoulderless top yes. oh. uh, is, like... That just adds to it because it's like it's kind of like a rough and tumble Buffy look. Like she's gonna go camping, but it's gonna be glamping. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, gonna kick your ass and she's gonna look beautiful while doing it. One hundred percent. I really, I love that look on her. It's honestly, it's one of Buffy's to me like iconic looks. See, I don't, I don't even know that I love it, but it just stood out the most for me, and it feels, like I said, very of the time. So that makes. When sense. I think of Buffy season four and what she wears, I think of that because it's also her hair being perfectly straight and long, and like, just the, uh, it's so good. I, I, I do love that hair, the straight hair. Um, 
Connor, what was your favorite outfit? Um, I'm going to say the birthday cake top. Uh. <laughs> Just because I, I don't know, I like some of the brave choices Willow makes because I dress a lot like Willow. Uh, <laughs> so I like to wear things that are like colorful and like fun. Um, See, I'm going to go with that. Like, I think I would maybe wore that. Not now, but at a time. So I love that you say that because, honestly, like, every time I think of best outfit, I feel like I haven't given it to Willow yet this season. But I think Willow's wardrobe is the best this season because it actually, it captures the, like, need to grow up and reinvent yourself in college and how many mistakes you're going to make. And she wears, like, so many things that scream, like... I'm a teen witch, like those long flowy dresses. And there's this one, I forget what episode it's in, but there's this one episode where she's wearing like almost like a wrap poncho that like restricts her arms. (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. That colorful colorful rainbow poncho restriction thing. And I love it. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Shout out to the wardrobe department. Like they really go there with Willow. (laughs) They really do. Like there's not a, terrible pattern that they don't want to try on Alison Hannigan. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm going to go with that. It's iconic. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, now we'll do favorite scene. John, what's your favorite scene? Oh, I think I, like, I really, I really do like the scene where Willow is about to cast a spell, but then she, like, she just decides not to go through with it. For all the reasons that I listed before, I think that it's really good foreshadowing. And it's just a really nice, it's like a meaty kind of plot point for her to really like to play with. Um, there's just a lot of different things that you could pull out of that. You know, will I do it? Will I want, will I not do it? Decision. Yeah. All right. Connor? Uh, definitely Willow. Um, Excuse me. Fighting Baruch and Oz together because it's just an example of um, how, how effective long form storytelling is. And it's just like why I prefer Television is a storytelling medium to film because you can get scenes like that that are so emotionally charged and just draw on continuity. Um, and the actors are just like fucking giving it, and I'm into it. I love it. Matthew, I also I like the scene that John or no, I, I mean I like the scene that we're talking about with um at the end with all of them as a climax. Also because it is in its own way a very well structured final scene, and it does come across almost like a spell or a chemistry experiment that they're doing where like the show starts off and keeps adding ingredient after ingredient to this final scene. And it's really interesting to like, even when you're talking about playwriting or story structure, like adding characters and what it does to a scene. So you start with all the emotional heft of Willow being alone and starting that spell. And then you add a character and you add Veruca. And so they have a history and to see them coming together and see, like, what happens when you introduce a really, like, angry character along with a really, like, emotionally devastated character. And then what happens when you add the element of Seth Green and then eventually the element of Buffy. And it's, like, a really well-done climax to, like, it's very emotionally satisfying. Yeah. I, so my favorite scene, which we talked about in depth, was um, Willow, Oz, and Veruca sitting at the fucking table on the campus. Just because oh. it's so perfectly awkward. Yeah, it was really painful. Um, all right, everyone, did you cry? John? I did not cry. Okay, Connor? Um, I didn't cry, but I appreciate the show's willingness to go there with what they do in this episode. Matthew? No. 
Um, Matthew and I always have the opposite answers. My answer is yes. I didn't cry that much this watch, but I always tear up um, at the end. I think, like, maybe the most emotional, intense scene is Willow finding Ozenvruka, but for me, the, when he leaves and you know it's, like, his final... I mean, he comes back again, but, like, just for an episode, um, and mm -hmm. then it's in a dream, but, like, as you know it's a goodbye, it always makes me, like, tear up a little bit, just because Willow's so heartbroken. Um, and now it's time for final grades! John, what do you think <laughs> this episode? We go A through F uh, here on the Slayer Fest 98 podcast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm going to give it like a C, C plus, actually. Ooh. Oh my God. Connor, what do you give it? Okay, well, I think this is a brilliant, a difficult episode to watch. In um, two words or less, Connor, what do you give the grade? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it an A minus. All right, Matthew? I'm going to give it a, uh, I'm going to give it a B. Minus, B minus. Matthew, we have the same grade. Yay. Yay. Way harsh time. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you boys so much for joining us. Um, and thank you guys for listening. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at SlayerFestX98. And if you want to follow Matthew on Twitter, he's at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. <laughs> and if you want to follow Ian, you can follow him at IanXCarlos. And John, where, the, where can they find you? They can find me at Praise Jesus, no I, on Twitter. Connor? And you can find me at Connor Traversal, one N, Irish spelling. Oh, is that where I, you know, I, because I talk to you so much, you're the Connor I know the most. Whenever I, like, talk to other people on Twitter, I always spell it with one N, and I realize I'm always spelling it wrong when I talk yeah, to yeah, you. American spelling's like two N, I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure. All right, guys. Well, thanks for being on, and thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.